Hey everyone, this is James Mackey and welcome to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. Join us as we cover high-level thought leadership and step-by-step guides on how to make people a competitive advantage for your organization. I'm incredibly proud to be the CEO of Secure Vision, the sponsor of this show and the number one contract recruiting, embedded recruiting, and RPO firm. A thank you to our partners, Greenhouse, the hiring operating system for people-first companies, and Gem, the all-in-one hiring solution recruiters love. Let's go! I am your host, James Mackey. We have a very exciting episode for you today. We're going to be talking about how to build talent acquisition departments from scratch while in hyper growth, <laughs> doubling in headcount in a short amount of time. Uh, what What's that like? Our guest today has a lot of insight and has been able to do that successfully. Uh, we're going to be talking about you know, just lessons learned from scaling uh, SaaS companies and in, in hyper growth from a talent acquisition perspective. And uh, also our guest has very unique insight into uh, what it's like having talent acquisition report into the revenue organization, which uh, if you've been tuning into the show for the past several months, then you'll know that I'm a big advocate of running town acquisitions uh, departments similar to revenue organizations uh, and and looking at it from a scale perspective for a similar lens. So I'm curious to see where that part of the conversation goes. Uh, but anyways, uh, let's let's go ahead and dive into it. I want to welcome our guest to this show, Lance Tripp. Lance, thank you for joining us today. Thanks. Hello, James. How are you? I'm good. I'm and I'm I'm pumped to uh, to have this this conversation, and uh, not you know I've shared with our our audience a little bit about what we're talking about. Sure. Before we, we dive into that, I think everybody here we we'd all love to learn a little bit about you and uh, yeah, what you're up to these days. Yeah. So um, Lance Tripp again. Thanks for the intro. Um, so I'm the the head of talent for a company called Enable. So we are a uh, a SaaS uh, product company. Um, we have a SaaS platform that does rebate and incentive management. Um, but what I was brought in there for, I've been there uh, a little over a year. I started in December and Enable was a company that um, had just gone through a series B, um, working towards a series C. And one of the challenges they had, like like a lot of companies in that space was how do we bring on enough talent? Um, and I was there to pretty much for all intents and purposes, start a, start a department from scratch and scale it. And try to turn the, a weakness into a strength. So, yeah, that's uh, I know exactly what, what that's like. I've, I've actually been in, in roles where I've essentially walked into a void and it's like, okay, we need results yesterday. And you're working with, with folks that understand the value of town acquisition from the standpoint of they know that they need to hire, but sometimes yeah, talent's important. It's important. And everybody knows we need it yesterday, but sometimes folks don't understand the, the work that has to be put in. And so it's, I've I've always found it very interesting walking into like a void like that because it's one, it's execution, two, it's sure. setting clear expectations with other members of the leadership team, and then figuring out how to get buy-in from folks that maybe you're used to doing something in a certain way. Like they're doing it in a Absolutely. certain way, it may not be working to the extent they want to, but it's yeah. you're doing all these things at once. You're you're setting expectations, you're trying to build trust and relationships, you're trying to learn why things are being done the way they are, you're trying to build out process and get results and actually get hires across in your first 60 days while building out like a longer term program. And yeah, for sure. I know exactly what that's like, Red. So I'm I'm very excited to riff with you on yeah. that topic today. Let's do it. When you joined, uh, Enable was around 200 employees. Yeah, yeah we were in 200? December of 2022. We had 200 employees. Um, they were probably a pretty equal split between we a lot a lot in a revenue organization obviously a lot in engineering customer success 
Um, yeah, 200 employees based in um, U.S., Canada, and Toronto, and in the U.K., so global as well. I so, love it. It's so now trying to get into Australia. That was one of my first projects, opening up that office. So. Oh, fun. Yeah. On top of it, let's let's also throw in a time zone that's completely unaligned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> completely, completely one that doesn't work with with the other right. two locations. So yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, two hundred employees. Uh, so I was a, I was recruited and and um, through a through an exec recruiter uh, was at a, just a point to make a make a change and was looking for another kind of build opportunity. I think that for myself, it's a sweet spot and um, looked at Enable and um, you know. Good product, good leadership team, um, good culture. Uh, have the opportunity to work in revenue, like you mentioned, which I'd be happy to talk about, and kind of the differences and things that have been really positive, and maybe some challenges there as well as we continue the discussion. But yeah, looking at two hundred people, and I think essentially we wanted to, I mean, try to double if we could. Um, I inherited one recruiter that had been there a year just helping to support revenue and in an Excel spreadsheet and a, you know, <laughs> which was the main tracker and, you know, trying to hire people through link, LinkedIn CRM, which wasn't fully implemented. And, and uh, yeah, so, so uh, that's what I got. Um, but it's been, it's been a great experience. It's been a great journey. Um, I, I still a lot more to do, but it's crazy to think about in a year or so, you know, how much someone or a team can accomplish when you've got some common goals and you've got good leadership and, and you focus on the right thing. So, so to jump, dive into it started at sure. 200 currently at 470 headcount today. We're about 480, but 480? yeah, okay. we ended the year about 460 something. So, got it. and so let's, let's walk through that, that journey, right? So sure. uh, you, you walk in day one, or maybe like we start before day one on the job, because I, I want to dive into when you say good leadership, what that that really means. I think for as talent acquisition leaders, it's it's having buy-in from other members Absolutely. of the leadership team that they understand what you're trying to accomplish and they're going to give you the budget. Yeah, I think sometimes what happens, it's uh what happens in talent acquisition is similar to what happens in in revenue. It's like you accomplish a result and then they say, Hey, can you keep growing at this rate but with 20% yeah. less? And yeah, do it again. Right. With the, do, yeah. Do it again, but let's spend less money. Let's increase our revenue targets and let's let's spend less money doing yeah, it. Absolutely. We, yeah, absolutely. We see the same uh, BS sometimes throughout our career. And it doesn't sound like you're, you're in that environment. It sounds like you're in a good environment. So yeah. I, the conversation starting in the interview process, that's when the work starts. That's when you get the lay of the land. Yeah, you understand absolutely. the environment. Walk us through yeah. that. And then, you know, first three months, six months, like that journey. Sure. Yeah. So I think when, when I think, you know, when you, obviously when you're, when you're going through an interview process, you're, you're evaluating not just the job, but the the leadership and the company, the product, there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, from an enable perspective, what I saw with their leadership team is they had a good mix of, I think when you look at startups, you know, you want that people that are entrepreneurial, that the, the, the ground up type of leaders that, that have that vision but it's also good to have some leaders or a mix of leaders that have maybe been at bigger organizations and I think kind of know what good looks like. Because I think the journey, anytime you're at a startup, you know, we may know what a nine or 10 looks like, but you may start at a one or two. And the goal may be not to get to nine or 10, but to get to a four or five. And that, and that may be success. So so it had a good mix of leaders that had kind of been there, done that with that, you know, also ground up leaders. Um, but then I also really liked for one thing you mentioned about, you know, the similarities between being a revenue department and recruiting. There are a ton 
of similarities. And, and part of that is a lot of times people don't see all the recruiting. We deal with pipelines. We deal with lots of transactions, lots of meetings. So there has to be a repeatable process. There needs to be things that you can, from an operational excellence perspective, put things in place and then execute a lot of little small transactions that eventually end in, in hires or in a revenue department would be a sale. So, um, you know, I kind of looked for, does this company, the leaders, did they have that operational cadence? How do they think? How do they work? And um, I could tell as I went through that process that they had plans for every interview step. And for a company as small as they were, as new as they were, I thought that was impressive. And some of the things they did just from a leadership perspective and OKRs, cadence, um, they had me put on a presentation myself as part of my interview process to go over some strategy and some some put some thought into what I would do, even if it was hypothetical, sure. based on what I know. So those are all really good things. Um so, so that's kind of what made me comfortable with making that decision. I think as I got there, that was that was uh, um, you know justified and the leadership aligned with what I thought it would be. Because I think you know, if, don't tell my boss this, but the um, you know you can have a lot of success, but you need a team. You need not just your team as a in, in talent, but you need a team, the team around you and your customers. You need them to buy in and have understanding about what you're trying to do, what you're trying to implement in order for it to work effectively, right? We can only swim up upstream so fast. So, um, you know, culture of a company, you know, getting them to buy into what we're trying to do um, and how we operate and how we do transactions, how we interview, how we screen, how we score, how we move things. Um, If you can get buy-in from them early, then your chances of success are a lot more. And I think that was definitely a thing that really helped us scale and be able to to build a hiring engine so quickly. Yeah, I think sometimes the the best path forward is the path of, this is obvious, but path of least resistance in a sense. And I, I think a lot of the times, sometimes town acquisition, town acquisition leaders will find themselves in a position where they're spending half of their time trying to convince uh, the leadership team that something needs to be a priority or and we need sure. to we need a certain way of operation a certain operational cadence to get things done or uh set, setting objectives and goals and okrs and these types of things uh for yeah. that are also tied to town acquisition and and hiring for uh, different uh, function leaders like you know I, i'm a big believer in you know each vp company wide each executive company wide should be accountable for their own hiring plan because you know sure. someone in a similar position to our own we we can't influence if a vp of engineering is actually going to follow the best practices of the process or use the tech or, you know, any of the things that we're suggesting they do. We have, at the end of the day, we can't, we're not, you know, those yeah. people, those folks don't report into us. So yeah, are there absolutely. OKRs, things in place to ensure that that's part of their performance? And I think, you know, I've, I've certainly been in roles where I didn't feel like there was a cultural alignment where uh, I had the true understanding and buy-in from some of the executive team members that they, I feel like they didn't necessarily always understand why I needed what I needed and I would present data and do this and that, but it became this ongoing battle. So I think, you know, it's okay to educate once, but if if folks don't get it, I always say, try to figure that out in the interview process, go to companies that are going to make talent acquisition a true priority, not just the folks who are saying, I need to hire yesterday. It's okay if they need to hire urgently, but (laughs) I need to hire yesterday. Here's the budget. Here's, you know, I've given thought to this. What do you need? What do you think our calls per hire is going to be? And you can present as an executive a budget and say, this is what I'm going to need. This is the team. These are the resources, yeah. you know, the technology, the agency, whatever it might be uh, in order Absolutely. to get it done. And you want to get that that buy-in up front. And 
I also just say like, if you're six months into the job and you're, you're still like, it's like a constant struggle. I leave, like go find another job, uh, go find a company that is willing to invest in you as a talent acquisition leader, because, you know, we don't want to be in a position where we're accountable for things that are outside of our control. So I think it's, you know, that's why I wanted to to start really with the interview process versus jumping into your day one, because yeah. really, you know, the job, our job starts in the interview process to distinguish if, if the, it's actually the right Absolutely. opportunity. Yeah, I mean, you've got you've got to evaluate right because like I tell my team and I tell customers like even though we are talent acquisition, like we don't hire anyone. We facilitate the hiring practice. We engage. We consult. We do the things behind the scenes to get them in a position to make a decision. But ultimately, like if they want to hire to plan, they have to be the one to pull the trigger. Now, you know, coaching them on how that works, I think providing data and getting to a point where you can utilize real actionable data in, in talent acquisition is, is, I mean, extremely important. Um, we can talk more about that later, but, you know, proof points to make them be able to get there. But yeah, you need, you need culture, you need buy-in um, obviously funding. I haven't, that hasn't been an issue. I'm, I'm fortunate for that, that the, the company has been willing to invest in the team and the process and tools. Um, yeah, without that, it makes it much more difficult, but yeah, you got to find the right opportunity. And, 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 um, I would, I would tend to agree with you. <laughs> 100%. So, so first 30 days. Yeah. What, what did that look like? And what did you like? Let's explain it from the perspective. Of, I mean, <laughs> you know, other like, days were rough, but, yeah. uh, yeah. From the perspective think... of like folks that are like, you're speaking to people that are thinking about accepting a new position or just have, sure. what do you prioritize in those first 30 days? Well, obviously just kind of, you know, meeting the leaders, figuring out their goals, like doing the, doing the, the, that, that part of it. But look, here, here's the, I'm, I live in Texas. And so I, I, I'm one of my Texas isms is that, you know, if I'm riding to horse, if I'm riding to town on a horse, I may know what I may want a faster horse, but if I don't have one ready to take me there, I better stay on the one I've got. Cause it's better than walking. So you don't want to go in and feel like you have to reinvent everything day one, find out what they're doing, find out what works, find out what doesn't and try to build on that, that what works. I mean, even where I'm at now, I had leaders tell me like, Hey, I appreciate you guys being here, but don't get in my way because I've, what I think I've done has worked some and like fair, very, very fair. Like if, if that's worked for you, I, last thing I want to do is get in the way. Let's figure out what you're doing and how can I put in something that can take it forward and to accelerate it. And eventually, like with that person, like you earn trust. And then now it's like you guys do all of it. Um, but early on, it was that. So, you know, you're not going to make, you know, you've got to make one higher than two hires. <laughs> so start there and figure that out. Um, yeah. So leaders, current process quick wins. What can I do to improve what they currently have? Um, I walked in without really any technology. So that was a really early thing that I had to get in place. So putting an ATS system in, um, building some processes around that, that was, that was a tough early lift, but that's critically important as well. Um, and then, you know, having leadership that understands like you have to have some of those tools to be able to do things and, and do it quickly. There's no way we could scale to what we've done now if we didn't have good tools. What tech did you put in? Uh, a lever is already. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that Did they you... had already purchased it. 
Um, but I had actually my last company had evaluated Lever with a couple of their tools and and yeah. it was was definitely happy with that choice and it's, it's been great. So do you have any other like what's your like the whole tech stack look like? Tech stack. Um so Lever's the ATS. We use LinkedIn. You know, we have connectors to job sites like in, you know, Indeed and and some other global ones. Um we've evaluated looking at some interview selection tools, interview, interview process tools. I haven't put anything in there yet. Um, and then from an HR perspective, it's Dayforce. So it's not connected, okay. not integrated. So any kind of reporting and, and, and that from an ATS to a people perspective, I work with the HR team for that. Uh, gotcha. And what is like, were there any key things that you would say are notable or important that you built out in Lever? Like any what, like critical processes or like reports? Like what, what are the top of mind things that you'd recommend yeah. to folks? Yeah, I think um, number one thing is your workflow and having a good understanding of what that looks like and what that is. And and I think most companies, the workflow from hiring, maybe based on a culture of a group or a VP or a leader, also based on just the role, the na- revenue is not engineering, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so understanding what that workflow is, building it out, and then having you and your team and really being diligent about making sure that workflow sticks when it goes to moving a candidate through because most most of the data that you're going to get that's really going to be actionable early is that how do candidates hit each step how do they move through the process um you know what's the you know what's the candidate flow through that what's your pipeline look like where are the challenges where are things moving well or not things like that yeah um, so workflow me, is pretty important and one just to slow down on that too before we move on like sure. i one of the biggest lessons or most helpful lessons that i learned and i think i'm pretty sure you could do this in lever i'm more familiar with greenhouse that's sure. like we everybody all, all of our recruiters are trained in greenhouse a lot of them worked with lever but like that's you know part of our onboarding and internal process is, is working with greenhouse too and and like one of the things that we started doing for our customers we probably had done like uh probably close to like 15 greenhouse implementations at this point um, which at this point is like very, it's not very difficult for us, quite yeah. honestly, for like a startup growth stage. It's just not that good. It's, you know, most of our clients don't have like a data stack on top. So yeah. it's, it's like, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, but we, we, from the workflows, we got really good at, okay, you want a skeleton stage structure, uh, which we broke into like four different stages. So state, I mean, we literally just called stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. And those were kind of the overarching skeleton buckets, if you will. And in Greenhouse, you can put interviews within the stages or within the buckets. And yeah. that that was a, a big game changer from a reporting perspective because we could have the same skeleton stages for engineering and sales, literally every role that was opened up company-wide. But then sure. the way we'd give flexibility to different departments and leaders is they could put custom interviews within each of the stages. The Stage one was always like recruiter screening or first round. Stage four was always final round. If there weren't four rounds, they would just skip one. Correct. That's what we do as well. That's what Essentially, you do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we literally have L1. We have a recruiter screen, but not every role for us has a recruiter screen. I mean, we have certain right. roles that are that we can use knockout questions and automations to push it through. So right. but it's recruiter screen, L1, L2, L3. We have a presentation phase. We actually have a presentation prep phase, which is kind of a manual process, just how we do interviews and then a presentation. Is that... Is that like skeleton or is that like, that's literally for every It's role? a skeleton. We have one workflow for the whole company. Yeah. But a lot of times that you may as a company, you can buy different workflows for departments. Uh, but even I like that, that. Gets, yeah, it's another layer of complexity. It's, it's so just, we have one workflow skeleton. And then, and then from a recruiting standpoint, we know to skip 
and we know which ones, if this happens, then this is what we do. So yeah. like the presentation prep phase for us is, so we'll do a lot of briefs or we'll have our reps do mock interviews or mock, mock first calls. So my team is responsible. We set that initial interview with a candidate to, to brief them on, hey, this is what the next step is going to be. And then let's look at calendars because this is usually a multiple person interview. Uh, but we want to know how long that takes. Like if our time to hire is our target for us is like 30 days from yeah. application to through, like where are they getting stuck? And are, are, is this something that we need to speed up or what can we do to make this more effective? Or we're, we're constantly looking at those things. To how, do we, how can we decrease the time to hire? Um, and that's a step for us. It's time consuming, but we want to look at that. Yeah, no, I mean, time to hire and, and conversion rates and all, you know, understanding sure. where candidates are falling off in the funnel. And I mean, that's I, I mean, you need to be able to segment pipelines by department, but I still like the same workflow company wide, unless Correct. you have like a full time data analyst. I mean, yeah, I don't that's have a, that. That's a, yeah, <laughs> and most of companies that are like startup growth stage are not going to have that. Yeah, you don't. But you want that skeleton company wide structure. You want there to be customization for different departments and openings. You need to be able to filter by department. You look kind of an aggregate company wide, but you want to filter by department so you can look at uh, time to hire conversion rates. Uh, and cost per hire and all of those different metrics on a per department basis. And then to go a step further, you want to be able to segment out cost per hire by cost per source. So you want to know uh, what's the, what's the cost if we're doing LinkedIn outbound messaging versus like referral versus uh, uh, agency, obviously is going to be a huge uh, discrepancy in pricing. So you want to know the cost per source and a step further, you want to know the, again, the, the conversion rate funnel, because there are some uh, sources that are better than others. Sources that are better than others, and it's yeah. not just about cost. It's it, or it, it typically is somehow tied back to cost. But one other correlation you have to look at is how much time and activity needs to go on to creating that hire. If you have a conversion rate where it's like you know hundreds of, of folks are going through a funnel to get one hire, yeah. even if that source yeah. is accounting for like ten percent of hires or twenty percent of hires. Is that actually scalable? Like maybe it worked when you were at 50 people. Now you're at 400. Do you have yeah. the bandwidth? Absolutely. For that source. Yeah. Where, where do you yeah. focus your time? It's, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, one of the, a couple of examples of that, that I think that we had early on is, so our, our AEs, we do a presentation phase. They run a first call meeting. And we were seeing a lot of them were either dropping out before they did their call or they were dropping out during their call and then how we then we we also scale the the interviews as well and score them what we found is is like the demo phase was knocking people out so for us right. it's like hey we, we we've right not everyone had to have the demo not not all of them even had an environment ready so it made them a little anxious to do it because they didn't feel they were they were prepared as they could be and they wouldn't show as well and then part of it was you know it just wasn't scoring well. So we're like, we can train on demos. So we dropped that out and we saw that we saw it went from about 25 or 30 to about 40, which that may not sound like a lot, but when you run it through a lot, that's a, that's a significant change when oh. it comes to like the end product and the drop in that funnel. It is. And like one thing that I think people also don't, don't understand with uh, funnel conversion rates is if let's say you have four or five stages to your funnel, if you can improve each stage by 2%, that's an overall 10% increase in conversion. Huge. Like, so it's also, you don't like, I think people are like, oh, we have to find these big levers. It's like when you have a structure built out, making small tweaks can make a huge difference. If you make small tweaks in different yeah. parts of your funnel, 
Uh, it could have Atomic a Habits. Plug for that book. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't read that one. Is it good? That's it's been a couple of years since I read it, but yeah, it, he, yeah, it's about small changes can have significant impacts, and sometimes yeah. they do at scale. Like you don't even realize those little tweaks have made a big difference. Oh, there, yeah, I, you know that's a big. Uh, I, you know, it's weird. Like at this point, scaling my company, I do feel like I focus on fewer, more strategic decisions. But getting from like zero to two million, and also standing up uh, in revenue for my company, that you know, back when we were doing that it was a thousand lead bullets, right? Like there've yeah. been Horowitz, like the hard thing about hard things, which is one of the best startup books of all time. Have you read it? No, I haven't. I'll, oh, have, to, it's I'll so, have to do that. It's so damn good. Like, it's just, it's like the war stories, the advice. I actually have it right right here. I need to read it again, but it's yeah. uh, buy this hard. book. I didn't, okay, like, I, I'll, do it. Even I'll do it. Uh, I've got some credits on, on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just entertaining as hell. Like you, you know, you're going to, we all, I like, I learned a lot, but I just enjoyed it. Like it was just yeah. fun. Uh, he tells like war stories about like almost going out of business and like how they overcame that. But he has this concept of like, everybody's looking for magic bullets. Right. And yeah. he's like, fuck that. Like the way you win is a thousand lead bullets. And that's essentially <laughs> hey, his philosophy. I, you know, look, people, and my boss, you know, our, he, he, I report to the head of revenue. Um, a lot of, to me, it's like talent acquisition. People like, they want to think there's some kind of magic sauce. And I'm like, most people know what you and I need to do at a certain, it's not that much different. There's no, there's no, like a lot of it's like hustle and execution. I mean, if, if you have a team that's committed, that works hard, that hustles, that's responsive to customers and they grind and they do that, I'm like, you're probably going to have some success. So, um, you know, maybe not a thousand magic bullets, right. iron, maybe not a thousand. but, but still it's like, yeah, there's a lot of it's just operational excellence and grinding things operational out. Operational excellence. That is yeah. like, I, yeah, that was a zero to 2 million in revenue and building out orgs from scratch. Like I, I feel like I said that shit every day to my leadership team and to my recruiters. It was just that's how we win. Like this isn't a machine that we need to optimize. And the team yeah. around that machine is what is like the, you know, the, the fuel for that. And, and think, think about in a T, I mean, it's not much different than revenue. Like think about how many, I mean, I could look it up I and mean, we've done thousands of interviews. Yeah. I mean, we'll, 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 I mean, and in the last year, so it's, can you build even your interviews? Do you know how to structure your interviews? Can you make them repeatable? Does everyone on my team have a certain structure for how they're looking at this? Because then what you see is then the candidates that come out of there, there's more alignment there. There's more continuity. And then everything you do, if you can repeat it and make it the same or as similar as you can, what you get on the other end is much more efficient. Well, yeah. And, you know, a lot of talent acquisition leaders, like they, it's, I think it's, it's one, sometimes if they're under budget or they don't have enough team members, they have a really hard time having the time to, to implement consistent like screenings or first round interviews or custom interviews for each role company wide. The hardest part though, is the shift. And there's two hard things about that, the time and then the buy-in factor. But when, you know, it's so worth getting the buy-in because when you come out the other side of that, Typically, hiring managers and leaders they they start to see the value. They start they to do. see, oh, like rinse repeat. We open a role. We know what to do. We're not, you know, we're making sure we're getting the best people forth in our in our interview process, not just like the slick interviewers, right? That that just know how to talk and um, which you know, believe it or not, and I, in my opinion, you can be a great recruiter, but you can still get fooled by that stuff if you don't have. Oh, yeah, a, yeah. 
you know, if you don't have a robust process in place to ask the same questions in, in the right way, uh, that, then you're not going to be able yeah. to. I mean, to like revenue is a great example of that, like hire, hiring, hiring salespeople. People don't realize that it's challenging because on paper, a lot of them don't look different. I mean, there's so many little things. If yeah. they're going to be fit for what you do, there's lots of little things you have to look at. So you got to get pretty granular there. And a lot of times they're good at interviewing because that's what they do for a living, essentially. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, I have one of one of the guys on my team. He like you know like good interviewers. He he has a he has a thing where it's like if you look at someone's LinkedIn profile, like the less they have on there, probably means they're a better candidate because they don't. You know, sometimes the best interviewers aren't necessarily the best ones to get a job. They're good at interviewing right. because they've they've moved a lot. You know. Yeah, um, I, I think it's too. It's like how analytical are they? And I, I when I was recruiting sales folks, like I really focused on the numbers and I would slice and dice numbers like 10 different ways and make sure they added up and they made sense to me. And, you know, how granular can they get with their process and nuance they can get with different customers and buyer personas. And I'd really, I'd ask all those questions in a way where they kind of correlated back to one another, Mm -hmm. where it was like built in checks and balances, if you will. Yeah. Well, they need to, they need to understand process and how deals work. I mean, you know, like for, you know, if they, if they can't, if they don't know their quota or they can't, like, if I can't work that by the way, your quota is what, but your average deal size is X. And how many deals do you do? Like, oh. yeah, <laughs> so by the way, where are you weren't in your number. It sounds like you weren't. <laughs> by the way, that's how you hire recruiters for everybody to get. It's like the same process that you have for hiring sales folks has to be, you know, because a lot of people have this bias towards talent acquisition too. It's like, oh, it's about relationships. And it's like, oh yeah, I mean, you have to be personal. You have to have that. Uh, engaging, emotionally intelligent, emotional intelligence, which was a buzzy term, uh, yeah. especially a few years ago. But uh, you know, you have to have that engaging. You have to be able to sell uh, the the story of the of the company and how it's well positioned in the sure. future. And you have to be able to do that stuff. And also, it's analytical. You have to know your numbers. You have to know what inputs lead to outputs. You need to know your your time, the amount of time it's going to take, your conversion rates. Why are you losing candidates? Yeah. You know, like if I. What are the top three reasons you're losing candidates for this search? Like hiring managers need to know that, recruiters need to know that. And what's the feedback loop look like? And are any of those things, can we change those things? Yeah. What you know, what's the objection handle? I mean, all of those things uh need do to you be- have to be analytical to do it. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Completely. Uh it's, it's know. Like the same. It's like the freaking same thing. <laughs> like hiring recruiters and good salespeople, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, yeah. There's, there's a ton of similarities. Right. I'm not gonna uh, say it's this. It maybe same as to like it's not, it's not the same, but it's there. There are a ton of similarities, as you put it. It's more yeah. accurate. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a repetition. It's process. I think probably what you're talking about too is is even for me. Like, I think it's helped me some of my career. Just being analytical, being tools, and I believe me, I went out to college. I had no idea I had that in me, but. Um, but yeah, something, something clicks and you have that, but it helps, it helps understanding big picture and how you need to structure things. And and, because process is important. So, um, yeah, Yeah. but, but that going not to change the subjects, but having, having like a reporting into revenue has been great for that because, you know, revenue and like my revenue leader, like we, we literally, when I started, we like twice a week, we reviewed pipeline. So that's what we did. We go in and look, we look at candidates, we look at where's the flow, how much in, how much out, what's our transition, mm-hmm. 
Where are we losing people? What do we need to change? What can we adjust? Right. And at the end, what, of course, what's the end? What's the hires look like? Um, And then as we go, we make little tweaks, right? Like, you know, I mean, like one of the things we're doing right now is that we have a certain culture, right? We have people that not just can do the job, but fit in well with our culture. So can we give a real realistic job preview to sit to understand, Hey, here's what it's like. There are things that are great here. There are things that are really tough here. If you don't like the things that are tough here, then this is probably not the right fit for you. We, we would rather have someone self-select out before they get to that last stage or even at worst hire on and realize right. not a good fit for them. So what can we do along this, along these steps um, to make sure we're having these conversations we're reinforcing this, this culture, what it's like, what KPIs are, what metrics are for, for a revenue team. So that that we're getting good fits, even if that sacrifices our conversion rate at the end. Well, that's I think that's true. It's like there's you have to you have to make sure your top of funnel is tight if you're gonna have high conversion rates down funnel. Sure. If you you know, if you don't like that, and that's like another nuanced thing, like walking into an environment, how tight and on point is that process? What are the caliber, the quality of folks that are applying that are being brought into your funnel? And that that process is going to determine to some extent what your conversion rates down funnel should be. If, you know, if you're, you know, don't have a lot of good checks and balances, a good interview structure built out and you're hiring too many folks too fast or your, your conversion rate is, is too high, then you are more vulnerable to building out a, uh, you know, a, an organization that doesn't have the right fit folks. So I always, yeah, it's a weak team. Yeah. Yeah. I, like if you look at the inverse, like reverse, like a triangle kind of funnel, right? Like, I always look at, I do end up optimizing, like starting, I, I think down, down funnel first, like who are like, who's actively in the pipeline? What are the active searches? Like, you know, what are we, what are we doing? Do I have the right checks and balances there? And then, then you're like, you're going to the top of funnel, like, okay, for new searches, like, what is that process when we're opening a role? Like what, what processes do, do we have in place? Like one of the most impactful things that uh, I've done for a few customers is what's the checklist of things that you need to do before you open a new role? And there's, there's a a list of like 10 things that, you know, we, we expect hiring managers to put together, like, you know, the role description, the outcomes that need to be produced. What does performance look like? What does onboarding look like? Sure. All all of these things. And they have to be presented before a role can even be opened up. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You need that from them. (laughs) Yeah. Two way street. Yeah, it's and honestly, and like if too much in the role shifts, we had another process we had to build up for one client where if too much in the role shifted, it actually closed down the role and they had to reset. Yeah, that's I mean, that's the I mean, look, I mean, for those of for those people that listen to this that aren't TA professionals that want to know, like how you can help us out. It's exactly what you're talking about. Like, I had an old mentor that he used to say that like recruiters are like, like subway workers, right? We make sandwiches, like we're behind the scene, we're making them, but we, we need to be told like what type of bread, what, like if you want something out the other side and it, and it's what you, you like, what you like, you got to give us those requirements. So all of those things you're talking about, and then they need to be consistent because there's a lot of work that goes into getting to that bottom of the funnel and little changes at the end, can have, I mean, you know, can, can waste a lot of time. <laughs> the best way to put it. And then right. every time, every time that time is wasted, then you're elongating the search because, you know, candidates just don't appear overnight. I mean, there needs to be an expectation of how long it takes someone to get to accepting an offer and then going through a, uh, um, uh, you know, a, 
uh, the the working off their notice period and things like that. So same thing within talent acquisition. It's like, you know, we can have a hiring plan to be at 500 people, right? Or a headcount, but you're never, you're never going to get there because it takes so long to hire people versus losing people. You're always going to be understaffed. Um, and the longer, the, the more you can keep things consistent and do all the work up front, the quicker that'll, that'll make your time to hire as well. Yeah. And again, some of these things are, they're, they're tough to make that shift, but like putting together a checklist and an approval process uh, for new roles before they open up is, yeah. you know, it could be a game changer because basically you're like, okay, you know, and what we actually did is after they would submit that information, we would actually jump on a kickoff call with them mm-hmm. and we'd build out, you know, cause again, we had that skeleton structure and yep. we'd build in the custom interviews with them. We'd create the custom uh, questions and explain the importance of asking, uh, you know, candidates the same questions. You know, I, I like one of the biggest mistakes I, I saw hiring managers make is when they didn't have custom questions, they would ask candidates different questions and come out of the interview, not understand. Like they, for instance, if they, if let's say that they're looking for somebody who has a lot of experience, like doing something specifically with JavaScript, right? Sure. And, you know, they say, hey, could you tell me about, you know, your experience or, uh, you know, this situation, which you had to build this out. And they ask about a specific situation, like a situational question, right? That is going to elicit a much different response than if they ask like, hey, if you were in this situation, what would you do? Or, um, you know, tell me about your experience just in general working with this technology. How did you leverage it? And they don't yeah. understand that, like, in their mind, it's the same question. But it's, but it's not, not. It's, it's the same topic. Yeah. Yeah. So when they're taking notes, if they do take notes, but even <laughs> in, like if they recollect on it, they're going to be like, you know, so-and-so, he didn't talk about that. I don't, he didn't have that experience versus this candidate had all this great yeah. experience. It's like, well, you know, and as recruiters, we've always had that, like a hiring manager say that, you know, someone doesn't have experience. You're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And so it's, it's like, having those custom questions as, as, and built out before a role is open. Sure. I mean, the upfront, right. So we, we do like, so for part of my requirement is you have to do an intake meeting and on an intake meeting, yeah. we have a form and we fill that stuff out. Some of the stuff being internal, you know, onboarding and things like that, or some of the things are fairly standard, but we'll do that. Part of that is also building out those questions. So within lever, I'm sure greenhouse is the same way. Like we'll build out essentially interview templates, but those are critical because you know, as, as, a, as a recruiter, you have your part, but you need to be consistent as well, by the way. Um, but you don't have, you don't see exactly what goes on in those interviews unless they take good notes and you can see, and then you have a conversation afterwards. A lot of times there's not visibility there. So building out questions, getting your managers to consistently ask the same ones. How do we reduce biases in interview? Because ultimately, again, it's about process and repetition. If you're asking the same questions in the same stage, you, the hiring manager, other people in the interview, you're, you, the, the, what you get out is going to be much more representative of what you're looking for. Does that make sense? Yeah. Otherwise, there's just ambiguity there. And, and it's hard enough making good decisions, but how can you lessen the chance of making a bad decision almost as opposed yeah. to making a good one? I, and honestly, you do that over and over and over again. In the end, your quality of hire starts improving. These are just marginal little changes, but they can add up to big dividends at the end. And for sure. Like, that's why I'm not even too big of a fan of people going down rabbit holes. They're like, well, I have custom questions, but then it can go different directions. It's like, no, I, I don't, I don't want it to go in different directions. I want it yeah. to be in the same direction for every candidate. I don't like it when hiring managers have that concept of, okay, I'm going to ask some of the same questions, but then 
we go down a rabbit hole or ask follow-up questions that might be nuanced and different. And I think that that's okay to an extent, but I think that that in a sense can be dangerous or introduce bias if they go too far in that direction. And so what I recommend is like, well, stick to the script on, you know, your second and third stage interviews. When you get to the final round, if you have a list of follow-up questions based on, you know, specific criteria, that's fine. But, you know, for, for the earlier stages, the interviews, try to be pretty consistent in what's discussed with each candidate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to, it's going to have better results. And what you're doing is like kind of, you, you mentioned about the questions being asked different ways. If you set it up correctly, then you're asking the right question, right? Like, um, like for us, it's like, you know, we, I think our product, but our reps need to be able to hunt. Right. Yeah. But, if you're not really digging in there and asking the right question, like, do we get the right answer? And then if, and if you don't, then, because what we'll do for ours as well is like, we'll say, you know, you know, a level one and a level two, one of them may talk about sales process. One may talk about, you know, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, how much grit do they have and determination or how you're looking at different things. If you're doing it well as well, you're not asking about the same things. You're each, each interview and you have an opportunity to dig into one aspect. So if you don't dig into, let's say like, how are they with hunting and doing some of their own prospecting? If you don't find that out, you could get down to the very end and realize that you've got the wrong fit because you missed it at that one stage. You didn't stick to the script. And then, then you may have a mistake on your hands. And then you're yeah, going, you get, oh, they said they didn't like to prospect. That's why they're not here anymore. And it's like, well, let's go back to the interview. Did we ask them? Right. You, get, you, get the, you can get the wrong people through the process or cut the wrong the right people out of the process. It's it swings both ways. That's another is, thing too. It's like and and um, you know, engineering to like revenue, right? So I've most of my career, I've had more experience doing engineering and software hiring than than sales hiring, but it's you know what's important for the role, right? If I'm if I'm interviewing you as a rep, I want to see how engaging you are, how you interact, how you overcome objections, how you think on your feet. If you're an engineer, that's not as important to me. I'm I'm wanting to think about maybe how you think, how you solve problems, how you deal with certain technical situations. But if it's not relevant to the role, like don't focus on it. Like yeah. I don't care as much was what they wear to an interview as I do maybe a rep. Right. Yeah. I, I want to I be professional, you. but I'm like, do I, you know, there's certain things I'm just not going to care as much about. Um, but. Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's, it's an interesting evolution just seeing, uh, you know, what, what's happening in town acquisition right now. I think just tying back to the concept of, you know, you're, you all running as a, within the revenue organization yeah. and going through the hyperscale, I just can't stress enough the importance of, Building out process, 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 process playbooks. You, you know, if as a TA executive, you may not have time to do the process playbooks, but um, if you, as long as you have somebody else to do it, that's okay. If not, like the first three months, map out process for literally every single part of what you do, so that when you hire folks and start to build out your team, you can hand them those process playbooks. And then they can be the one to maintain it from that point forward. But I think a lot of people underestimate, like I, you know, for every part of my business, talent acquisition, otherwise playbooks, process documents, everything is outlined. And we have that as well. Yeah. And one is like, when you start to bake stuff into technology, 
you already know what you have to do and how things can work with technology and how that's going to work. And then when you optimize, they're, they're live documents. You have to continuously update. Yep. So that's really important. The other reason it's important is because when you onboard new people, you want to be able to hand them those and sure. you don't want to verbally explain shit all of the time. Like you want to explain follow-up context if need be. But the idea is like, can we build a process document that's so good that if I had to hand this to a new recruiter or a new you know manager of talent acquisition and I couldn't provide any other context, could they follow this process step-by-step? Step? Yeah. Could they get up to speed? Yeah, we, we've done that with our, um, like we, we do that with all of our recruitment stuff. We're just now starting to do that more for the, some of the manager things. Like right. what are, what are, what are, and not that we we're not there to support, but part of it's self-serving, whether that's, whether that's employees or people on your own team, like, right. you know, how do you, how do you get to a point to OTJ is one thing verbally coaching someone's another thing, but then having somebody to go back to is, is, is important. And oh, honestly, yeah. there are certain things you may, you may write a process for it and you may forget about it. It's a yeah, good way like for you to go back and go like, okay, how are we doing this? Or what were we, okay, yeah, we do do that. Okay, maybe we don't look at it every day. Like, or maybe this isn't working. Do we need to go back and tweak this? It's it's just, a, it's a good, it's a good way to 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 have structure to, right. to what you're doing. I mean, so what I'll do is just to give it like a real life example is I'll say, oh, wait, you know what? This would be a better candidate experience. This would be a better client experience. This would give us more visibility to optimize. Put that process in, in the playbook, send it to me so I can review so that way it's it's in there and it, I know that like an idea or something doesn't just get lost. It's actually getting recorded and then it's sent to me. So there's that, that check and balance. And then the, the other thing I'll note is you don't like if somebody's optimizing and changing process and making you better and you don't have process playbooks built out surrounding what they're doing, you are very vulnerable and too highly leveraged on that employee. Because if that person leaves and you yeah. have, you know, in the United States, a two week notice period. <laughs> you're in a bad position. So the more that you have process, it helps you deleverage a little bit from being sure. stuck on, on one person because a team needs to be greater than one and yeah, you have to be able to plug folks in and out because the reality is that, you know, people, particularly in SaaS, hyper growth, they may not stay with us more than a couple of years, even if they like you as a leader. Yeah. No, no, yeah, no, I get it. I tell, I'll tell, I tell all my employees, it's like, look, I mean, my goal is when my team, my goal is to, you know, I hope they're here forever. And, you know, it turns into a public company and that's that option. But a lot of times right. it's a journey, right? And and sometimes you, part of what you do and the experience you get working for these companies is you've been through that, right? Yeah. So the next time you're looking or the next time it's an opportunity for a bigger role, I mean, there's, you want to get to that. I want that forum. Yeah. Right? As a talent acquisition executive, you want to have process playbooks out. Not only is it going to help you drive great results within your organization, it's going to help you onboard folks faster. It's going to prevent knowledge gaps when people leave and being too highly leveraged on folks. It's going to help you just optimize in general. But the other aspect is that you want to build out these playbooks so that when you go to a new position, you have a fat stack of documents that explain exactly how you're going to generate results. And, you know, we don't interview as much in person anymore, but it's like the concepts you want to be able to well, show. Well, yeah. I mean, there's... Slam that on the table and be like, this is how I operate my department. I have process built out for everything. I'm going to plug. Obviously, I, we need to optimize. It. It's not just a copy paste, but I know exactly what to look for. I know exactly how to optimize. This is how I build the machine and how I would do it for you. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. It. You got to optimize it, but it's not like you don't want to have to reinvent the wheel every time. Because I'm sure there are companies where it's completely different, but for the most part, it's it's yeah. yeah. But in SaaS, like I I could walk into like pretty much any 
startup growth stage SaaS environment. And it's almost the same playbook. Like (laughs) it's just rinse, repeat. Like we know exactly, you know, what we need to do. We know how to build out the workflows, the technology stacks, the custom interviews. Uh, We know how to segment from different teams. We know uh, to, to, like all of those things are are basically the same. We know cost per hire and cost per channel. And we know how to break that down and, and put that into the budget. And, you know, all of those things, like as an experienced executive, you know, you don't want to be the talent acquisition leader. That's just like, all right, we're just going to focus on increasing the uh, speed to hire, but not have a data driven approach to do it or not know how to optimize technology or not know how to run a budget effectively. Like you want to be that executive leader. That's really analytical and is a true partner to the executive team. And process docs are a big part to, to get started on that, you know, budgets. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't do it here, even though I'm part of it, but the last company I was at, I, I ran workforce planning, which I'm not the, and, you know, not an, I know much better workforce planners than myself, but, but when it comes to it, I mean, having a plan there and understanding like what your hiring plan is, not just to be able to execute on it, but I don't, companies like people are expensive, <laughs> you know, just to hire, like in, in, you know, the, the, the salaries that they bring in, if you think about it, you know, think about what it costs for the an annual salary for a person. And you're doing those transactions like, you know, for 30, 40, sometimes a, a, one a day on average. Um, so it's a lot of money spent. It's a lot of time invested. Um, I mean, God, the hours that go into it, not just for my team, but from, from my hiring manager's team, it, that's, there's, there's, there's value to that as well. So oh, yeah, I mean, a huge um, part of their salaries are going into hiring people if they're you know, hiring at scale for their sure. department. And, I think the like the last point that I'd like to make, and then I'm going to leave it uh, hand it over to you for final words before we jump off for today. Uh, but your your process documents uh, everything that you're building out in technology that has to be your number one priority before building out your team of recruiters because process and technology are ultimately the most important because think about like a market correction. Once you, you also, you want to have an environment in which people can walk in and be successful and they know what's expected. They know the process to follow. That's number one. Number two is in a market correction, like we saw Q3, I think was like the low point for hiring last year, right? Like that's our conversion rates, like as like our win rates for acquiring new customers to hire for plummeted. We had like for qualified pipeline, man, leading up to Q3 last year, we had a 60% win rate, which is nuts. Like 60% of the deals that entered our qualified pipeline, we were winning. That plummeted down to like 22% in Q3 from like quarter to quarter. It was insane, right? And so what ended up happening is a lot of these companies, they had to cut their internal talent acquisition teams last year. Mm-hmm. But they don't have any process or technology built out. So when they have natural attrition or when they need to start hiring again for growth or attrition, whatever it might be, they they don't have any process in place. They have to go They're find recruiters. From scratch again. They have to start from scratch. They don't know what works, what doesn't. They don't remember why they can't start dropping out the process, conversion rates, time to fill, calls per hire. None of that has ever been tracked. And then they're playing catch up. And so like what we saw after COVID was basically all these companies trying to hire recruiters at the same time. They couldn't. Recruiter pace uh, skyrockets. You yeah. know, they're they're just constantly falling behind. And if you have optimized uh, process technology, you can hire fewer people to get results, but you also have this baseline structure in place. So no matter what happens in the economy, as soon as you need to hire again, you can plug in a person into that system and they're able to generate results a lot faster. And so it's like, 
you know, hiring may be cyclical, but investing in talent acquisition process and technology needs to be an ongoing motion. Sure. And that's what I try to explain to executive teams that aren't familiar with talent acquisition. We, we literally, I was on training for it this morning. We we do we do risk planning. So we have a tool that we go into, you know, as part of our compliance and um, being audited. And part of in TA, like one of our things that we do is exactly what you're talking about. Like we have documented processes and playbooks and things like that just to mitigate the risk in case someone leaves or in case some people are gone. Or if you have to really slow down, how do you put it back together? You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like you got to turn off the car. Fine. Yeah. But like, make sure you have a, a you know what's going you on. Have a vehicle. Another thing on top of that, too, one thing that I think about, just to take it like one step further, I also think about that in a way where, you know, we'd like to go through an IPO in two years. Right. I know having done that in other companies, like there's a lot of things from a process perspective and TA that need to happen to be able to make that transition. So if you know these documentation, can you take that and go, okay, now what do we need to change in our process to add this extra set of rigor or checks or things like that in order to take us there? Right. It's a lot easier to to get to that point if you've got a really good foundation of how you do things today, even bringing it forward. it's, it's, It's really cool. So. And, so, and sometimes, you know, we're, we're growth stage or early growth stage. It's like putting everything in writing around salary bands and, you know, career pathing and, and, and max salary range, all, all of those types of things. It's like, we're scrambling. We're trying to balance that with building out proper workflows and getting in the right people. <laughs> and you're trying to like do all of that, but you know, particularly as you become more mature late stage, there's going to be a lot more pushback on, on salary and being a lot, you sure. know, that's going to start to get scrutinized, particularly when you're going through an IPO Republic and you're going to have to shift from, you know, when you're series C and you've raised 50 million, sometimes if you really want somebody, there's some flexibility, yeah. Uh, but when you get to the point where you're public and you're you have to hire 100 salespeople a year or whatever it might be or more, you know, and you can't just outbid the market. Like if you're lucky, you're like 60 to 75 percentile salary. Yeah. That's going to shift your strategy, and you have to have those, as you said, process playbooks like in place. And then you have to think about okay, where are we tweaking? You better have a good understanding of your, your reporting, your you know everything, all of your data, so that you can figure out you you're going to have new problems to solve because absolutely expectations yeah. are going to shift. Right? It doesn't stop. It just just evolves. <laughs> it evolves. It's it's a it's a nonstop motion. Thank you for going overtime. Yeah, absolutely. With me today, I was enjoying the flow of the conversation. So yeah, it was a good uh, talk. I was. I appreciate all your insight to it as well. I think I learned something today too. So thank you. Oh, well, we both we both did. It's nice that we've had so many shared experiences that this could be just a very genuinely interesting and engaging back and forth conversation, which these are my favorite, right? Like I love when I can just have a cool conversation. Like to me, this is the type of conversation where it's not even like a podcast. Like if we were just grabbing a beer together, like we would be having like this conversation, right? Yeah. Um, Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been enjoyable. Definitely. So, so I'm uh, uh, looking forward to your conversion rate getting back up to 60. So, oh, hell yeah. Believe me, I am too. I'm like, so, so Q1 has actually been pretty good. That's good. Starting to see an uptick in hiring, uh, which is, which is great to see. We're subscription based. So it's not like per hire. It's, yeah. you know, people plug us in on an on demand basis. So like a fractional yeah. recruiter, full time recruiters. So. But that's good. I mean, that's probably an early indicator to where things are going. Um, I hope so, man. January was strong. February was about the same as February last year. This January was stronger than January last year in terms of revenue closed. And so the trend is that March should be a very strong month. So we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you, guys, you, you make it a lot of uptick out of that downturn too. 
I mean, you can I, see yeah. here. Yeah. I mean, you know, folks cut internal talent acquisition teams. So it's the question becomes, okay, after an initial lag, does that mean that there's going to be an uptick in business for us because folks maybe don't want to hire internal recruiters? I would guess there would be. I mean, I, like if I, I approach that, like my, my goal is to never have a team that's too big to where I can't like ebb and flow. Like right. I've, I've known people in TA that are like, oh, I've got budget. I'm going to go hire an army. And I'm like, okay, you could, yeah. but, but yeah, but I mean, can, can I look at what levers do I have to, to scale my workforce? Like a company like yours or, you know, there's lots of different ways to do it, but there's, you know, you can be thoughtful about it with, um, and, I think and so. leverage good partners. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I like as somebody who manages a PL myself, like having some variable cost to my overhead expenses very valuable to me right now. Like I don't want everything to be fixed long-term costs, annual contracts, W2 engagements, because we're seeing such, we don't know what normal looks like anymore. Like our our, our margins, metrics, everything have been so nuts since COVID in 2021, then weirdness of 2022. And now what's happening. So it's, it's like, okay, we have when we're from a financial perspective, executives are running a company from targeting gross margins and overhead expense and looking at keeping those at certain ranges, mm-hmm. you want to have some amount of flexibility within that. And so absolutely, that's like the assumption we're making, but it's not proven yet. It's right. Well, I think it's right. Happen. I mean, so yeah, if it's a plug for you guys, so yeah, I would agree with the model. It's, it's- I don't know, man. I, I mean, it's like, it's just, it'll be interesting to see, like, it seems like a logical assumption that we would see an uptick due to the fact that people are maybe more hesitant to hire W2 and they don't know the less certainty about the future, but you know, that hasn't been the case thus far. Yeah. So we'll have to see like what happens over the next quarter or two. It'll be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for having me on and, and really enjoying the conversation and let's and, yeah. Uh, and before we jump off Lance, how can people find you online? Uh, it, probably the easiest way is just go into my LinkedIn account. Um, it's, I believe it's just Lance Trip. I'll just one word is my tag. But yeah, so at Enable, Enable International. Um, cool. Yeah, it's probably the easiest way to do it. And for everybody tuning in, uh, Lance's LinkedIn profile is going to be uh, put into the description here. I would also, if you were interested in this episode, I, there's two others that I would check out. The primary one is going to be Brandon Metcalf, who's uh, season two, episode one. Uh, so I would definitely check that out. And then we have an episode being published on uh, Tuesday, March 7th. I think that that's going to be a really interesting correlated conversation. It's about startup hiring and the nuances and what makes it difficult and comparing that to enterprise. So if you're interested in this episode, check out those. Uh, lastly, I would just say if, if, if those tuning in, if you're getting value from the show, uh, we really appreciate your support and providing reviews. Uh, you can go on Apple Podcasts and, and leave the show a review. Also, feel free to reach out at talenttrends.io uh, and to Morella at securevision.io, M-I-R-E-L-A at securevision.io uh, to uh, recommend guests. Or if you have questions like, hey, how do I do XYZ or implement this into my company? Make sure to send us questions. Connect with me, connect with Morella, reach out on the website, whatever you want to do, and let us know what you're thinking. We'll make sure to, to cover it on the show. So Anyways, everyone, thank you so much for joining us this week. And I look forward to speaking with you next time. Take care.
Thank you for tuning in to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and gained a lot of valuable insights to help guide your talent strategy. I also want to say thank you to my team at Secure Vision for making the show possible. Secure Vision is the number one embedded recruitment provider, and we are a three-time category leader on G2. Secure Vision partners with over 150 companies to provide on-demand recruiters who specialize in either tech, revenue, or GNA. For more information, you can visit securevision.io. For more content, you can follow me on LinkedIn at James Mackey or on Twitter at James Mackey DMV. We've dropped links in the description. If you want to be on our show or have any topics you'd like for us to cover, reach out at breakthroughhiring.io. We really appreciate your support with reviews on Apple Podcasts. And lastly, make sure to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday for a new episode. See you next time.